would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We are looking at verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 6. The actual flow of all of this comes out of chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, and we've been making our way through it. But we're in a section here, chapter 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 6 which I have entitled The Face of Jesus. And it comes after Paul has contrasted the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and that the greater glory is in the New Covenant because it is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. So we will pray and read 3.18 through 4.6. Father, we come now to hear you. Father, may your Spirit... Strengthen us for the task that is hand at at hand, and Lord, may we may we devote ourselves to looking to the face of Jesus, Father. As we feebly try to understand these things, we understand that you have given it to strengthen us, Father, to give us a privilege that humbles us, that Father that transforms us. And that, Father, it is by your grace sovereignly that we even get the privilege. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for drawing us this day. Thank you for bringing our hearts to this place. And, Father, thank you for my brother Paul, that he penned this to us, that we may rest full weight. To your glory and praise. Amen. Beginning at verse 18 of chapter 3. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of the shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, But by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We do not preach ourselves. But Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Last week we were looking at the Apostle Paul a little closely. We took a little side trip in this outline you have on the back of your bulletins. And... One of the things that I have noticed about the Apostle Paul is that he knew Christ intimately and in detail before his salvation. And then on the Damascus Road, the glory of God shined in the face of Jesus. And he was transformed. And he never went back. And one of the things that I see with the Apostle Paul, especially in these letters, we spent the last number of years looking at First and Second Corinthians, is that Paul wasn't having a good time when he wrote these. 
Uh, he had been stoned and left for dead. He had been shipwrecked twice. He had been beaten with rods. Uh, his countrymen, the Jews, were trying to kill him. The Gentiles were mocking him. He had troubles in the country and troubles in the cities. And he also had his daily burden for the church. This church in Corinth, he wrote to more than anybody. And this church was defecting against the gospel. They had attacked him. False teachers had come in behind the Apostle Paul, which was normal. And it happens all the time. Uh, and when I see this, I, I, there's a part of me that says, how in the world can you be a man of the stature of Paul and still keep going? And this text gives you and I that answer. Paul never took his eyes off of Jesus. And in this context, it's the plead of this text. It's calling you and I this very day to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Okay, when you see in the Bible the glory of God, it's talking about the manifestations of the attributes and nature of God. If you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. Okay? For me to look at Jesus, there's only one place I can go. That's the Word of God. Remember, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but... My word shall never. Why? It shows you and I the glory of God in the person of Jesus. When you do that, I don't care what you're going through. You will find that glory is sufficient for every issue in your life. I don't care what it is. This letter... As I said, Paul's not on vacation. He's in a lot of pain. He's got physical pain and he's got spiritual pain. Uh, as a pastor, I know no greater pain, physical or spiritual, than the burden of a defection of the church. I, 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 I have seen people who have defected and I know no greater heartache. I can't imagine what Paul's doing. Paul is also dealing with personal attacks. One of the things that you will see in our society and is all throughout the history of the church is that if I can discredit the teacher, I can discredit the message. That's a heavy burden right there. I would say that at the writing of understanding that there's four letters written to the Corinthians, we have two of them. There was one written, concerned over them. Then you have 1 Corinthians as a reply to their answer to his first letter. Then you have what he calls the severe letter. That's between 1 and 2 Corinthians. Okay. Then you have 2 Corinthians. It's laid out for you and I, and we've gone through this, is 1 Corinthians deals with personal holiness. Your personal holiness. It's funny because we like to be concerned about everybody else's personal holiness. 
But you should be concerned of your own personal holiness because 2 Corinthians says when that's been dealt with, you get 2 Corinthians and that's ministry. And that's where you're going to end up. And that's what we've been dealing with. That's why he's saying the glory of the new covenant is so massive compared to the glory of the old covenant. The old covenant had glory, but the glory of the new covenant is so bright, you don't even see the old covenant. And yet Paul, struggling with all of this heartache, he never lost the vision of Christ. My questions as I go through this text is where do we find our joy? Where do we find our hope? Where do we find our assurance? Where do we find our confidence? And that's the testimony of the Apostle Paul in this text. He says there in verse 18, but we all. Okay, if you're a believer today. He's saying this isn't just for Moses. Moses could go up on Mount Sinai, come down and reflect the Shekinah glory of God. But he's saying this new covenant is for all who would draw near to Jesus and have the veil removed. Because we all, verse 6 says of chapter 4. See the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We look directly into the glory of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the absolute manifestation of the attributes and nature of Yahweh. And if you're really honest with yourself, you take the 66 books that make up your Bible and you will see that the theme of Scripture is God on display in Christ. <laughs> the Old Testament says He's coming. The New Testament says He's here. And Revelation says He's coming back. For us, in verse 18, we all with unveiled face, we have no more veil for all of us who would draw near. There are no more shadows. There's no more pictures. There's no more types. We look clearly at the glory of God in Jesus Christ for every issue in our life. It is clear. It isn't hidden. I know that everybody wants to try to make it hidden, but that's just your pride. It's real straightforward. I've never struggled with it. Now, there's times I don't like what it says, but you know what? It isn't like, I wonder if they'll get this. I have that. I have people do that to me. Uh, I drive people nuts with it. Okay? My wife will tell you that one of my greatest flaws is I don't beat around a bush. But she will also tell you what he says is exactly what he said. I, I mean, it's in this political season... People say things and then they get this whole line of people to try to explain to me what they said. Okay? I don't have that problem. When I say it, it's exactly what I mean. 
Well, I wonder what he meant by it. Okay? But you know what? There's a clarity in the gospel that I don't have to explain it. That's what it says. Well, do you? That's just what it says. You know, and you can get into trouble. Take the role of a woman. The Bible is very emphatic about it. It isn't hidden. Well, that's a cultural thing. No, if it's the word of God, it is only eternal. I I, I don't, well, I don't understand what they meant. Okay. (laughs) That's when I look at you and smile real big and say, have you not read? (laughs) Why? Because it is clear. Once you get over that hurdle, then you will realize that the longer I gaze at the person of Christ in the word of God, that it will transform you. Why? That is the work of the Holy Spirit after your salvation. Do you know what he's going to transform you into? The image of his son. If you're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, you probably ought to know what Jesus Christ is like. You will start manifesting. Are you ready? Sitting down? Yeah, you look like you are. You will start manifesting the nature and attributes of Yahweh. Now, if you're not, it's one of two problems. One, you're still veiled. You have not drawn to Christ. Listen, Paul was an expert on the person of Jesus Christ before his salvation. That's why he wanted to kill all the followers. That didn't make him saved. You can have head knowledge. It's like the Russians. I was always fascinated by this. When Stalin took over, they outlawed Christmas. Okay? Can't have Christmas. So when I've been over there, I, would, I run into some of these kids. I like playing with, playing with the kids, the young kids. And uh, they keep asking me if I've met Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> That's, they all ask me, you know Arnold Schwarzenegger? No, <laughs> I don't. Uh, sorry. But anyway, um, it's funny because you would ask them, what is Christmas? You know what they say? St. Frost's birthday. Okay, that's their Santa Claus. All right. And the reason is you have two generations, three, almost three generations who never had Christmas. Christmas was still a work day. Okay. But you know what was amazing? And, and it's, it's almost like the humor of, of, of God. You know what they did not outlaw? Easter. And you can ask any Russian... What is Easter? And you know what they'll tell you? It's the resurrection of God's son. And you just sit there and go, Oh, wow. And it's highly celebrated. Their, their Easter celebration is 14 days. Okay? And it was under communism. We should pick up that one. I just, I just think we should. But as you look at the person of Christ, he will transform you. It is an intellectual ascension. The veil must be removed. These kids knew the resurrection is. 
But you could ask him, well, who is Jesus? They were clueless. I don't know who Jesus is. Well, what is Easter? The resurrection of God's son. Did you know his name was Jesus? <laughs> As we look at Jesus, we become like him. The more I maintain that look, the Apostle Paul says, This one thing I do, press on to the upward calling of Christ. Paul says, I never take my eyes off of Jesus. And I will become like him in his nature. See, you, verse 18 says you're going to go from one level of glory to the next level of glory to the next level of glory. It's ever increasing. But you have to take the time to look. And it's got to be more than, well, I'm going to come and listen to the long-winded preacher and he'll preach for 45 minutes or 50 minutes, so I got a good look. You have to do it on a daily basis. Man does not live by bread alone. By every word that comes from God. The glory of the picture the reality of who Christ is had crept into the soul of Paul and Paul was transformed. But it also strengthens us. The more I look at Jesus, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore we have this ministry because we have received mercy and we do not lose heart. The Greek word for do not lose heart is become a coward. I do not become a coward. It's impossible for me to become a coward. How's come? I've looked at Jesus. Paul was overwhelmed by the glory of Christ reflecting and showing forth God. He understood. We receive mercy. He understood that redeeming grace. You and I don't. We don't pay attention to it. I have been able, I have had the privilege to teach outside of this country. And the people that I have taught outside of this country are overwhelmed that they're saved. They just really, I just can't believe that God would redeem me. I mean, and, you, and I don't care who they are. I don't care how long they've walked with Christ. They are overwhelmed with that fact. And you look at the church in America today, and it's almost like no Christian in America today would say, well, he owed me that. But you know what? You look at the way we live our lives, and it sure looks that way. Paul understand that what he had, the called to be in the new covenant. The call to serve was all given from God and absolutely none of it was deserved. You know, they got a website now where pastors or churches can um, find new pastors or find new churches. And I went through it. No, I'm not looking for a job. It's that curiosity in the cat thing. I started looking through this and these churches are looking for these pastors. And they said, this is what we're looking for. And it's just, just this list. You know one of the amazing things that I'd never seen in any of them? I, I, I didn't spend a lot of time looking at them. Nobody was asking, what do you do with the Bible? We want you to visit people. We want you to be friendly. I want a guy who handles the scriptures and is diligent about handling the scriptures. Paul understood that the new covenant privilege compelled him 
There was no way he was going to step into a cowardly surrender. And and I think about all that is happening in this man's life at this point. Why wouldn't he just open his hands and say, forget it. I'll take my chances like Jonah. I'll see if I can get a fish to swallow me. I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is, is that Paul's understanding of the privilege of being in the new covenant. Because he understood that, he never got his ego tangled up in his ministry. I see that a lot. People want to serve Jesus as long as. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Paul's statement that he was the chief of sinners, he always understood the grace that truly redeemed him and reconciled him to a holy God. Paul understand that anything he had was all pure grace. How about you? How about us? Most of us, we've got jobs. Some of you are educated and you say, well, because of my education, I have this job. And, you know, therefore I am deserving of whatever it is I'm doing. I get a little simpler than that. Why do you get your next breath? Why do you get your next heartbeat? It's pure grace. Pure grace. Paul had a handle on that. Paul lived overwhelmed at being a new covenant believer. Paul was even more in awe that as a new covenant believer, God had used him to be a new covenant preacher. And the basis of Paul's courage was not on men, was not on accolades, was not on success. It was not based on his efforts. It didn't even, wasn't even based on the size of his church. It wasn't based on a life that had no pain in it. The basis of his courage was the privilege of gazing into the face of Jesus. Remember when the, the socialism collapsed and the wall came down in Russia? Um, I met a pastor who had preached under communism. Forty years. And he had a bag that had a couple of changes of underwear in it, a couple of pairs of socks, and some shirts, and they were all uh, rolled up. And it's just a little bitty bag. And he set it by his front door. And and he, he was talking about it, and he said it was his jail bag. I said, your jail bag? He said, yeah, if um, the KGB found out that he was preaching the Bible, at any given time they would come and arrest him, and you're not allowed to take nothing. You've you, you got what you've got on your back, and so he would grab that bag on the way out if he got arrested. And I said, uh, Ivan, <laughs> that's crazy. And I said, since you have this new freedom... What is the greatest blessing in this freedom that you see? Now, this is a big Slavic man, and he gets a tear in his eyes. 
And he says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. What? (laughs) I mean, yeah, okay, that's Ephesians. He says, I didn't know there was a letter to the Ephesians. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, 40 years, all I had was Luke. He had none of the rest of it. He said, I didn't realize all of this. I said, I'll bet your church knows Luke. (laughs) Dude. But see, you and I, I mean, I got Bibles everywhere. I have Bibles in the saddlebags of my motorcycle and the glove compartment of my truck. I don't know how many I got on my desk. I got one at home. I got one by the television. I got one by my bed. And you and I just take that and we realize that that book has you gives those who have unveiled face the privilege of looking into the face of Jesus Christ. See the full blazing glory of God. Paul understood that privilege. He understood the mercy and grace that was given to him. What do we deserve anyway? Judgment. As long as we gaze at the beauty of Christ, you will find you have everything you need for life and godliness. And I don't care what the problem is. Now then, you're not going to believe it, but that's just the introduction. I want you to look at point four. When I look at the face of Jesus, it is a look that purifies. Verse two. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. Stop right there. Paul understood that the moment of his salvation, he renounced. The things hidden. The word renounced in the original language means I have turned from and turned my back on it. I've renounced it. It it has a mindset that I want no part of this. See, he had saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus on the Damascus road. And he realized that his most righteous deeds was scublion. Filth. Filth. Dung. In light of the glory of God in the person of Christ, he realized that everything he was doing was absolutely useless. He saw the righteousness of God in Christ. He saw the power of God in Christ. He saw the peace of God in Christ. He saw the sympathy of God in Christ. The compassion of God in Christ. He saw the eternal hope. Of God in Christ. And from that point on, he had renounced, he had turned his back on, he had no use for the hidden things because of shame. He, when you look at the person of Christ, how can you have pride? How can I boast of anything? Even if craftiness of adulterating the word. You look to that, to the face of Jesus, and the only thing you can do is commit to purity. 
What are you going to hide? You know, I tell people when they're getting ready to marry or if they have been married, that the most intimate thing that you can do with your wife, the most intimate thing you can do is pray with her. And everybody looks at me like I fell off the turnip truck. Okay, here's the reason. If you realize what you're doing, I guess that's where I should start. When you're praying, you are beseeching the throne of God of creation. What are you going to hide? Are you going to go in and boast to God? I'm doing a good job with my wife. What are you going to do? And when you go into the throne room of God in prayer, you're vulnerable. (laughs) How's that? And you... But you think about it. Does anybody here remember the first time they were scarred when the pastor or the church leader said, could you close us in prayer? Right? That swooning. (gasps) I have to talk? Would you all bow your head? We're going to do a silent prayer. Right? But have you ever thought about that? What causes that? I can tell you. Epsilon, Gamma, Omega. It's always translated as a personal pronoun in the Greek. We call it ego. Dude, you're going before God. You're really concerned about what other people think you might say? I'm not. I got over that years ago. Dude, when I realized, you know what? When you pray... I mean, if it's even that little prayer when you're driving down the road thing, you're still before a holy God, a righteous, perfect God. So who will he pick to close today? (laughs) The glory of God and the view of his holiness, the glory of God and the view of his righteousness, the glory of God and the view of his virtue is purity should overwhelm us, humble us to seek godliness and hate sin. Please understand when I say hate sin, you hate your sin. I've seen a lot of Christians who hate other people's sin. Okay, and they like to tell the other people that I hate your sin. That ain't the goal, brothers and sisters. That's the whole of Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul says that my salvation, I began renouncing and it's real. I remember when I got saved, uh, I was in construction and profanity is a common adjective and and verb and noun and (laughs) participle and conjunction. (laughs) It's, It's just how you talk. Okay. And you can, you can be emphatic or you can be funny or whatever. All right. When I got saved, any time I used profanity is I stick in my head in a 55-gallon barrel and it goes, whoom, 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 whoom. And you're like, gee, me crickets. Because you know what? I knew at the moment of my salvation, God's everywhere and he's watching me specifically. Where are you going to hide from him? But you renounce it. And I mean, I found myself at times, take a uh, waffle head hammer, boom, hit your thumb, go, oh, Lordy. 
Okay, and, and then it's guys that I was working with says, you haven't cussed in like two weeks. It's coming. <laughs> I'm not completely sanctified here, guys. It's real. You renounce it. Paul is telling us, you know what? You're born again. Behold the glory of God. It's revealed in the face of Jesus. Understand who God is. We understand what He requires. We understand what He did in Christ. We understand the provision for salvation. We see and we believe we receive and have eternal life. And we turn from our sin. Our sin, your individual sin, should disgust you. I remember a dear friend of mine, he's in glory, and he says, Boy, it'd be great if sin had a smell to it. (laughs) I was like, careful what you ask for. (laughs) I said, no, it wouldn't. He said, why? He says, you'd get used to it. He didn't think that was funny. I thought it was hilarious. Let me ask you a question. When you get up in the morning, you're doing the... I try to figure out where the coffee pot is and why I didn't load it up the night before and how am I going to measure this and I've got one eye open and the other one wants to be closed. You begin your day and you're pressing through your day, the grind of the day. How devoted are we to the manifest, the nature of God? If you're running late, the alarm clock, you've got too many snooze buttons or something like that, do you cheat your time in the Word and in prayer or the weather? I do that a lot. I, I try to ride my bike as much as I can. And so I'm always looking at the weather. Uh, my ego is so intact that I don't need to prove that I'm a biker by riding in a hailstorm. I just know guys who do that. Well, all right, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sitting under a bridge. Paul's testimony here is confessing that this is real. We have renounced the hidden things. What he's doing here is actually dealing with an accusation that would have come against him. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. The accusers would come behind him and say, well, Paul gives you this front, but it's not real. They're questioning Paul's character. You'll see here in a few months ahead that actually he made a surprise visit to Corinth and people stood up and accused him of giving a gospel of grace for sexual favors. And he says no one in the congregation stood up to defend him. That's amazing to me. Paul says, I have turned my back on things. See, you could have looked at a Pharisee, and I've run into some quote-unquote Pharisees, that on the outside, they are blameless. When I see people who are quote-unquote religious, on the outside, they're blameless. But if you look at their actions... And hear what their motives are, you will find that the inside is shameful. See, legalism and religion cannot 
restrain the flesh. A false means of salvation cannot transform anybody. And you can put boundaries up. But you know what? It's just behavior modification. That's why we have prisons. At the point we come to Christ, we renounce the hidden things. We turn our backs on it. And if you have come to Christ and you have not renounced, you have not turned your backs on the hidden things, then you are the chief of hypocrites. Those who maintain a good life. Well, I haven't done anything bad. I remember sometime at one time a, a person accused me. They said, well, the reason you have such zeal for the Bible is that you were in such a dark place. And when Jesus turned the light on, it was like really amazing to you. I was a very young Christian, full of myself, and I have politely looked at him. Perhaps you should get the light turned on. That was my loving side. Because sin is sin. I don't care what you do with it. It's still sin. And it still has separated you eternally from God. You had better had come to Jesus. You had better see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Those who maintain that good life on the outside. I see non-Christians who can do that. But do they turn from that that is hidden because of the shame? They renounce it all. See, I have left things that I've never told anybody about. And you know what? I'm not going to. I knew emphatically it was sin when God saved me and I walked away from it. And I don't have to look back at it. I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to overcome it. It doesn't, now listen, be careful. It doesn't mean sin doesn't creep into your life. One of the things that amazes me about heaven, I will be absent from the presence of sin. And I'm not sure what that is. (laughs) Because I have never existed anywhere absent from the presence of sin. And that's what heaven is. The absence of the presence of sin. I haven't gotten there. John warns us, First John, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And guess what? It's still there. The difference is, is that when you draw near to Jesus with an unveiled face, you deal with the sin. Okay, John says, if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right. And I've watched that text get butchered to confess is I agree. All right. If God says it's a sin. I'm in. It's a sin. Okay, because I watch some in the church today who try to not make it a sin. All right. 
I mean, there's certain things that you know, ah, that's a sin. Okay? But um, I see pride promoted in church. My Bible says that's a bad. <laughs> okay? But I see a lot of congregations right now who promote pride. Here, let me make you feel better. Jesus didn't come to make you feel better. Sorry. He actually promised, in this life you will have tribulation. Paul told Timothy, if you walk in his righteousness, you shall be persecuted. Hmm. You don't find those in your little Jesus promise books, do you? As a believer now, we have the ability to deal with it. We also have the ability in our humility to ask for the Lord's help as we continue to look into the face of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you will not battle sin. I only battle sin while I'm alive. And you know what? Some of it hangs on. But it's not willful. There's no secret to it. He says here, shame. The word shame means it's disgraceful. It's ugly. There are those who would accuse Paul. Perhaps will accuse you that you have secrets. And I can't believe that they would say that about the Apostle Paul. Paul is saying, nope, I saw the face of Jesus. And I've renounced the hidden things. Paul is trying to get across that, you know what? Those who would choose me of being a hypocrite are liars. To renounce the hidden things is that word that we always really like to hear. Our favorite Repentance. That's a Baptist term. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what I was thinking. Sometimes it creeps back into our lives. But if you have a daily look into the pure face of Jesus Christ through word and prayer, you win, you shun, you flee. It's when you neglect that. <laughs> You get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. We move away as we move towards Christ. If you think about the life of Peter, if Peter was close to Jesus, he was unstoppable. But if you just separated him from the courtyard, he denied Christ three times. That's a valuable lesson for you and I today, brothers and sisters. The more I spend with Jesus, guess what? I'm unstoppable. I have confidence. I will not shun the cowardice. The word you see there, not walking in craftiness, that's a fascinating word because I hear it phrased in the evangelical community, well, you've got to think outside of the box. Uh, you, you, you've got to, you know, mold it to the society. And I ask them, have you ever looked at the Greek definition of the word craftiness? And they said, well, what is the Greek word for craftiness? Someone willing to do anything to accomplish their goal. I know a church here in town, the guy says, you know what? We're going to do a Saturday night upbeat worship service. I said, what does that mean? He said, we're going to turn the music up loud and the lights down low. Sounds like a bar. 
Same word you see in Luke 20, 23 called trickery. What can I do to deceive? Satan is the father of this thing. Let me show you something. Okay, the ladies can check out for a second. You don't have to listen. This is just for the men. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I am afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Okay? Eve was deceived. How? Craftiness. Willing to do anything to accomplish the goal. Same word. See, it's a person wanting to achieve a certain goal. Let me twist, let me pervert, let me manipulate. Uh, I've heard it said this way. We need to prime the pump. I, I need to set the mood. That's craftiness. That's craftiness. What am I willing to do? To get this done. Paul says he hasn't done it for the money. He hasn't done it for the favors. He hasn't done it for power, for influence. He just doesn't twist it. He doesn't manipulate it. It's not Paul. And let's be realistic. A cursory reading of Paul. There is no manipulation in here. There's nothing deceptive about Paul. He's so open. He's so plain. And it's in everything. It would be hard for anyone to not know what the Apostle Paul meant. Do you know why women are not to teach over men? He just give it to you. Eve was deceived by craftiness. They were led, deceived. I'll do anything to get, quote unquote, fill in the blank. Paul, listen, Paul was straightforward. He was so straightforward that it annoyed everybody and it became one of the attacking points. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. You guys will remember this when I read it. When I came to you, brethren... I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. The Gentile world wants to hear gifted speakers. Tell me I'm wrong. I don't care where you look. They want to hear someone who's... What was the word I heard? They have to have gravitas. I want someone who... Can spin it well. Okay? I want an educated person. The Gentile world wants wisdom. Tell me some things that I don't know. You know, the, uh, we need deeper wisdom in the spiritual things. You know what? That gave the birth to Gnosticism, which is alive and thriving. Gnosticism comes from, quote-unquote, pagan religions of the secret knowledge. You can ascend. You see it all. There's organizations right now that have this. Uh, What do they call them, guys? The Masons. 
goes from one level of spiritual wisdom to the next level of spiritual wisdom, the next level of spiritual wisdom. And it's like you just get to know something. Scientology does this. You just keep getting a little more, a little more, a little more. I want to get there and you'll know the secret things. You need to really get in and know the deep things. It's it's that guy was saying that we were going to end last Saturday or I guess we did spiritually. And it was mathematical. Mathematical? Well, yeah, I did mathematical calculations that came up with a dumb prophecy. Perhaps you should use English. But I see that. I knew a guy who did all of his devotions in the Greek language. Everything he read, when he studied, it was all in the Greek. But here's the problem. His name was Zodiades. It's easy to do it in the Greek. He grew up in Crete. Oh, there you go. Okay, but I said, well, I think I'm going to learn Greek so I can do that. Dude, I have a hard enough time in English. I see this all all over. And Paul is basically saying here, he says, I ain't a fancy speaker. I preach Christ and him crucified. It's really simple. God came down and said, you guys are such bad sinners. You couldn't pay your debt if you had to. So I'm sending my son in place of you. And whoever believes has eternal life. But I wonder what he meant by that. Paul says, I don't want your faith to rest in the wisdom of men, but I want it to be in the power of God. Paul is what I call a plain preacher. Paul is very clear. He is very straightforward. And that is part of the reason he was attacked. People don't like straightforward. Tell me I'm wrong. Paul was open. Paul was plain. Oh, and Paul had that one little issue. He held nothing back. He was very clear. There's very little question about what he meant. Really? Have you ever read him? I never got confused over what he said. You were reading a bummer. And you know what's amazing about the Apostle Paul for me is that even when he was attacked, he never changed anything. There was no compromise. He spoke straightforwardly. He spoke simply. And let me tell you something that I've learned the hard way. False do not like that. They do not like plainness. They do not like clarity. They do not like straightforwardness. They like subtle. They like to keep the truth just a little veiled. They want to make it appealing. If I can get them to like me, maybe they'll like my Jesus. And plain preachers are offensive because there is no veil. There is no subtlety to it. I've had people tell me, they says, well, when you get up there and preach, you just seem overbearing and way too confident. You better be. You're speaking on behalf of God. If you don't believe it, sit down. I don't have a problem with that. Well, see, that's very forward and plain. Well, you hurt my feelings. Sit down until you're confident. 
plain preachers make truth plain. I see them today and they don't want to offend. I know a guy right now, we were going to deal with the pregnancy center. His church is influential in our town. Uh, It's funny how all these pastors want to tell me what politicians attend their church. But that's one of these guys. And we were going to do a pregnancy center. Let me tell you what the pregnancy center is. It is going to approach people who come from a doctor's appointment or something like that. They may have a pregnancy that was, say, not planned. And we will give them their options. Okay, and if they want the options, you know, this is what the county will give to you. This is what the state will give you. This is what Medicaid, Medicare will give to you and all the rest of that. We're going to try to help these women who have gotten into this position for whatever reason. There's nothing judgmental on it. These are your options. Okay, his church said that they have such a diverse congregation. They can't back this. See, I know I'm saved because I haven't killed anybody. (laughs) You just sit there and shake your head. You're like, are you kidding me? It isn't like we're getting ready to go out and protest at Planned Parenthood. That isn't what we're doing. We are sitting here saying there's an alternative. Okay, remember, women want choice. Okay, here's some more choices. Well, no, that's controversial. Okay, basically what I see in Corinth and what I have seen, whether it's Paul or Peter or Jesus, you have plain truth being given, straightforward, not withholding anything. It is the most rejected. I think that, you know, I have people who say, well, you have been in that church for what, 17 or 18 years as a senior pastor. I've been in this church for 26 years as a, as a saint. And they said, well, why hasn't it ever grown numerically? It's a simple message. And I would probably fit plain. Uh, I'm straightforward. And, um, yeah, and I, I hold back a lot, too. They're not going to accept that. They don't want that. Why? It's no different our church today was in the church in Corinth. Okay? It's a market the message. I don't care what anybody's saying. I look at it today, um, and there are people out there who want people in the seats. If I get a lot of followers, guess what? Budget goes up. I can hide it. Let me hide the hard stuff like sin. Instead of sin, it's just morally challenged. Okay? And instead of repentance, well, we'll go through counseling. Okay? And you, you hear all of this stuff. And that's what the people want. They want their ears tickled. And they will heap to themselves teachers. You know what that means? If you can get a heap of them, that means there's a lot of them. Basically, when I look at the people who had come in behind the Apostle Paul in Corinth, I would call them the first century marketing experts. What can we do to massage egos? What can we do to make consumers? A little secretive here. A little experiential there. If we can get more converts will get more money. We can become popular in our communities. 
We need to get a trendy message. Because it fits the age. So as you can see, there's not much new under the sun. Fashionable, to be admired, crafty. Appealing is the emphasis on just plain doctrine. Say it. As soon as I say the word doctrine, I watch your guys' faces just glaze over doctrine. Oh, he's going to give us doctrine. What's he think this is? Seminary? Yeah. (laughs) You're right. I don't care what you call it. It's better than cemetery. How many churches will you hear? Repentance, sin, hell, or the cross talked about today? Let me show you. If you go back to that, the Second Corinthians text, you know, I think about my brother Paul and what he went through. And if our gospel is veiled, verse 3 says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Okay? And you need to understand something. Okay, this is not for the weak-hearted. Verse 4 says, In whose case the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelieving. You really want to walk into that fight? That's why my message and Paul's message is plain. It's straightforward and it is nothing held back. Why? I have no ability to defeat the God of this age. What, an arm wrestle? I can't convince you. I'm just going to give it to you. And I pray that each Sunday morning and Sunday night, the Holy Spirit pours it and you become overwhelmed in your souls. Because the rest of it's out of my hands. I can't do anything with it. And one of the things I have learned in my years, when you have someone who is very... Just plain, simple, clear. It drives people batty. Okay, you think about our society right now. Everybody says one thing and really means this and it could be that and we don't know what this is and all the rest of it. And it just drives them nuts. And you know what? I hear people say, well, we need to be more clever. More clever. There are so many today who are veiling the hard truths. They are walking in craftiness. And they should have renounced it. Paul was straight, simple, clear, open, and true to the gospel. And yet, most rejected his preaching. Doesn't sell. They're not going to buy it. You're too open, Paul. I remember somebody accused me one time and said, well, you've got to put boundaries on love. And I just looked him in the eye and says, and what was Jesus' boundary on his love? I'll, I'll use that boundary. Can you tell me what it is? And yet, that's what we, we deal with this day and this age. This is exactly what Paul was dealing with. Paul had no secret life. There was no hidden shame. There was no deception. 
You cannot look into the face of Jesus and come away a deceiver. Can't do it. You can be a deceiver and never look into the face of Jesus. Because the deceiver is going to give you Bible. In bits and pieces. And they will be cowardly and they'll be weak. God became clear to you at the moment of your salvation. We become transformed into the image of Christ. It is straight and it was pure and it is clear. And you can tell when someone is looking into the face of Christ because it will show up in their life. They will manifest the characteristics of the glory of God. Did I tell you that they're different than the world? Completely at odds with the world. Next week we will look that looking into the face of Jesus is a look at loving truth. Father, help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, uh, the purity of your word, the purifying work and the ministry of your spirit in our souls. And Father, let us not be swayed by craftiness. Let us not uh, do things that would bring shame into the name of Christ. Father, let us not adulterate the word of God. Father, may uh, as Paul, even in the midst of all that was going on in his life, may we stand fast in confidence because we know the mercy that we have received. Father, I, I ask for this fellowship that we do not lose heart. Father, we rejoice at the amazing things you've already done. And Father, the amazing things that you shall do. Father, I thank you for Pastor Paul and his family still in this country encouraging the Chin people. Father, I thank you for the amazing things you're doing in Russia and the blessings that they've been to us. And Father, may we continue to walk shoulder to shoulder until that day our faith becomes sight. Father, I thank you for our veterans, those who have served and those who are serving. Lord, I pray that your protection will be upon them. And that the glory of Jesus Christ, they would see for themselves and come to the saving knowledge and therefore manifest the glory and power of God. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for these precious souls. And Father, may your word find fertile ground in Christ's name. Amen.